Well, good morning, Orangewood. I want to welcome those of you who are here uh, on campus, those joining us online. Great to have you with us today. Uh, before we get to the sermon, I just want to give a quick update on our budget as we closed out not only the calendar year of 2022, but also our financial year uh, as a church. Um, if you were with us at any point in December, we shared that um, the giving that we needed to receive in the month of December was about normal for us, about $750,000, so three quarters of a million dollars in the month of December is what we needed um, to cover our budget. Um, but this morning, I am pleased to announce uh, by God's power through you and your extra mile generosity, uh, we didn't just hit our number of $750,000, but we brought in a $300,000 surplus. Um, so way to go, church. Um, uh, way to allow God to use you. Um, Thank you for whatever role you played in that. What we know is every December, it is small gifts and big gifts together uh, that God uses, uh, and that led to our surplus. Uh, just want you to know, in the coming months, um, our staff, our elders, and our deacons are actually going to be working to kind of decide what we will do with those surplus dollars. Um, at a starting point, I just want you to know, our benevolence um, giving, we will tithe to that from this surplus. So we already allocate 11% uh, of our budget that goes to local needs and global needs. So we're already on top of that, going to add an additional 30,000. So uh, it'll be over 30,000 to the 300,000 that we already give per year. Um, but we'll continue to allocate some to uh, probably go to our deacons um, and we'll be working on that. But all that to say, thank you. Way to go, Orangewood. Uh, that's a great way to begin 2023. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, would you please stand this morning as I read our scripture for today? Uh, it comes from Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, if you want to follow along in a Bible but you can also follow along on the screens behind me as I read God's word for us today, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. It says this in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus speaking. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, would you pray with me? Father, I don't miss the weight of this passage. Um, I don't miss the weight that may, many may feel in this room. Uh, and, and Lord, I, we just need your spirit this morning to guide us, uh, to fill us to, with hope, to, to point us to Jesus uh, as he would teach us. Uh, Lord, uh, may we be encouraged and equipped and impacted as your church to be a picture of the ultimate marriage of you, Jesus, and your church. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, if you are new with us, uh, welcome. We're really grateful to have you with us. Uh, we have been in a sermon series called Bad Religion, where we've been looking at uh, what Jesus wants to teach us about true transformation. How, do, how does true transformation happen in your life and in my life? And part of that, uh, he wants to now speak to the topic of marriage, divorce, and singleness. And, and I have to confess that as I've been praying about preaching on this passage, I may have been preaching more or praying more about this passage than even the passage that we did last week which we've been um, in some pretty specific conversations that Jesus wants to speak to. Uh, Mark, Pastor Mark and I uh, met last month in December just to kind of talk about the vision for this series and, and God, what, what, what do you want to say to us and, and what, what do we want to accomplish in the series? And, and, and Mark kind of pulled me aside and he, he said, uh, hey, can I be honest with you, Tyler? Uh, I have been praying for this sermon series and that I would not have to preach the sermon on divorce. So the Lord has heard Mark's plea. He's heard Mark's plea. Um, but this topic is so hard to speak to and to talk about for many different reasons. Why is it so tough? Well, I, I would say the first reason we find it so hard to talk about is just the low view of marriage in our culture. I don't know if you've been following the news. Uh, last month, uh, uh, there is kind of a, a little scandal happening on television uh, between Amy Robach, I believe I'm saying her names correctly, and TJ Holmes. They are co-anchors on Good Morning America. And word came out last month that they have been in an extramarital affair together. Uh, and with this affair and with news coming out and a most, liking, most likely impending divorce from their current spouses, uh, their response to this, this news getting out was, quote, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? A uh, study came out from Cornell University recently basically saying that young adults seeing such um, divorce happening in our country have decided it, it's just better not to get married now. Uh, two thirds of them saying that uh, I, I fear the likelihood that I'm going to be able to stay in this thing for the long haul. So why even bother? 
Another study came out basically saying that young adults are saying 40% of them are saying that maybe marriage will not even be something in the future, that it will become obsolete. So we have this thing in our culture that we have this issue with the topic of marriage, but not only in our culture, but we have this issue personally. Uh, The topic is hard because I know some of you have walked through the difficult journey of divorce. There is complexity and nuance to every story and situation that I know that a sermon cannot speak to specifically. And I know that there are marriages struggling in this room. Now, I want to be clear. I don't know that your marriage is struggling. Okay, I don't know about your marriage, but here's what I do know. Being married, marriage is hard. It's hard. It, 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 it takes so much to make it work. And, and then on top of it, you have this culture saying, oh, well, if it's hard, then just get out of it. And so we, we have this situation with struggling uh, to make sense of marriage. And so please know, I don't know that your marriage is struggling personally. I don't have that information, but I know that there has to be some marriages here today or online that are struggling. And God wants to speak to that. And then I know (laughs) on top of all that, that there are students and young adults and single adults and widowed adults here in this room. And you're wondering, what does a sermon on marriage have anything to do with me? I'm going to try to answer that. Hopefully, hopefully. In Matthew's gospel, he talks here in Matthew five and Matthew 19 about marriage and divorce and singleness. And and commentators uh, agree that in in Matthew's mind and in writing his gospel, he, he, he wants these two chapters to hang together. They're, they're, they're part of his thoughts as he heard from Jesus on this topic. And, and he basically gives this first invitation from Jesus and it's the importance of marriage, the importance of marriage. What we see, Matthew 19, Jesus is asked questions about divorce and listen to his response. It says this, Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This section in Matthew 19 is is Jesus working out what he's already been dealing with the Pharisees about in the Sermon on the Mount. That the the Pharisees said, okay, ultimately what matters is in the externals. What matters is in the the outcomes. What's the outcome that I want? And, and, and you've been in life with people that operate this way. My, my kids operate this way. Uh, we, we, we just had this little pool table, a kid's size pool table given to us. And, and Lane, our middle son, the second we got it, was so excited. He, he, he wanted to take the pool table and get it assembled right away. And I said, hey, buddy, I'm sorry today we can't do it, but I will be able to do it tomorrow. And uh, when someone's really excited, wait until tomorrow is never an option. 
right? And so, and so Lane began to, to barter with me. Uh, hey, Dad, what can I do around the house to get you to do this today? Dad, uh, what do you need cleaned around the house? What, what chores can I take on? Um, and it felt like a hostage negotiation. You ever been in that situation with a kid? Uh, what, what, what do I need to do uh, to get what I want? My kids do this. And the reality is, I do this. And if we're honest, we all do this. This is what's happening with these Pharisees. Uh, they, they want to change on the outside, but Jesus says, no, no, no. True transformation in your life, in my life, comes from the inside. They, they, the Pharisees were consumed with the grounds for divorce. Jesus was consumed about the foundation of marriage. Why does Jesus think marriage is so important? Jesus thinks marriage is important because first, it is an institution established by God. It's an institution established by God. Jesus in this section goes all the way back. He, he says it's woven into the very fabric of creation. You, you look back uh, at Genesis 1 of how God worked and, and we see this, this separate and joining together happening over and over. God calls it darkness and he separates it from the light and he joins them together to make the day. God separates the dry land from the waters and then he joins them together to make the world. God separates the man from the woman, and then he joins them together uh, to make a marriage. And, and when God is all done, when, he, when he's done with his tapestry of creation, he looks and he says, that right there is very, very good. This, this joining together was God's idea. Jesus is inviting us to see that God's idea of flourishing and wholeness for our world was the joining together of man and woman in covenant marriage. Jesus says the two will become one. What, what, what was separate will be joined together. Do you guys see that? This is why Jesus thinks marriage is so important. It is a foundational institution from the very beginning of humanity for the flourishing of our world. That man and woman would be created as equal image bearers. And then Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So marriage is important because first, it is an institution established by God for the flourishing of our world. And second, marriage is important because it is a covenant created for the good of the other. What do I mean? Well, today, most of your relationships in your life and in mine are not covenant relationships. They're what's called consumer relationships. 
Um, I usually will do some sermon preparation at a local Starbucks. Um, that I, I, I don't like doing that in the office. I don't like doing it at home. I like going somewhere public. I, I like Starbucks coffee. And the second I say that, there's somebody judging me. I know there is. Uh, there's, there's always one of you. I don't like Starbucks coffee. Um, and uh, so, I, so I go there. Uh, but something happened. Something changed. Inflation happened. And then the Panera Bread Sip Club happened. And if you don't know about the Panera Bread Sip Club, well, you're welcome. Okay. Um, unlimited drinks. And so for half the amount of money, I can go there and, and, and get coffee. And maybe you don't like Panera Bread coffee too. Well, I'm sorry. But I can go there and do sermon prep. You, you see, for me, this is a consumer relationship. It's about my needs, what, what I need, what I want. What can you give me? In a covenant relationship, I'm in it for the good of the other. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but until death do us part. I'm not primarily in a covenant relationship for how you make me feel or how you keep me satisfied. I'm in a covenant relationship to serve and love the other. In many ways, our culture is teaching us to view marriage as something primarily about me, about my good, about, about my self-fulfillment, my self-expression. But that is not how marriage was designed. Covenant marriage is a we marriage. Consumer marriage is a me marriage. And friends, here is the really, really, really big problem with consumer marriage. Please hear this. If marriage is primarily lived through the lens of how you are being satisfied, you personally, how you are being fulfilled, you will always, always, always be disappointed. Here's how I know that. Because the person that you are married to is not perfect. And they will never be able to fulfill what you are looking for. It is something they just cannot give you completely. Me marriage will always leave you disappointed and upset and unsatisfied with what you are not getting. How your partner continues to let you down. Covenant marriage is a we so we, here's some questions to ask yourself. How am I serving my spouse? How am I loving my spouse? How am I encouraging my spouse? How am I praying for my spouse? Consumer marriage says, as long as you keep me happy, I will be here. Covenant marriage says, as long as I am alive, married to you for your good, until death do its part, I will be here. 
I love the story of some friends I had in college. Uh, in college, um, I play guitar here and there, not anymore, but I did a lot. And in college, I, I would play a lot for weddings. Friends of mine who were getting married, they would ask, hey, can you play um, for our wedding? And this couple that I knew, they asked, hey, can you, can you play for our wedding? And I show up for the rehearsal and I walk out and it is this beautiful botanical garden. Uh, when, I, when I saw it, the, the, when I turned the corner and saw where everything was going to happen, where the ceremony was, I, I thought in my head, this is a scene right out of a movie. It is so nice. I, I honestly didn't want to know how much this thing cost. We're, we're there. We're, we do the run through. It was amazing. We, we finish up. We, we go to the, the dinner and we come back the next day uh, for the wedding. We're, we're, we're getting everything set up. Everything's set to go, uh, just as perfect as planned. We're getting all of our gear set up. And then I look up and I see these clouds rolling in. And uh, they're getting darker and darker. And then it just starts to pour. I mean, just pour. I mean, like no end in sight. As great as this botanical gardens was, they did not have a plan B for rain. Uh, the reception was going to be taking off in the distance underneath a tent. And so everyone's darting and running to get undercover. The only problem was that tent was at the bottom of a very small hill. And so all the water is pouring down the hill and rolling in onto the dance floor. This amazingly beautiful wedding dress is now soaked and ruined with a mixture of water, mud, and dirt at the bottom. How would you respond if that was your wedding? Two weeks later, uh, the groom, they just had returned from their honeymoon, and I ended up seeing him, and I began to just apologize. I am so sorry that you had a monsoon on your wedding day. Um, how, how are you guys doing? And he said something to me that I have never forgotten 20 years later. He, he said to me, you know, Tyler, in the moment it was tough. But as the wedding day went along, Courtney and I said, this was the best thing that could have ever happened. Because we realized it is not about a wedding. It's about a marriage. It's about a marriage. 20 years later, they are still happily married. Covenant marriage says, as long as I live, I will be here, married to you, for your good, to serve you, to love you, until death do us part. This is the importance of all God's design to bring flourishing to our world and to our spouse. But what happens when the design is Destroyed. This is the second thing Jesus invites to see, the pain in marriage. The pain in marriage. Jesus explains this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The design from the very beginning was for flourishing and wholeness. That, that, that's the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, but what happens... When God's design is destroyed, when sin comes into the picture, it brings pain. 
I love Cornelius Plantinga's definition of sin. He says, sin is the vandalism of shalom. What God designed is destroyed. Uh, In the first century, Jesus is walking and seeking followers of people for anybody who wants eternal life with God. And like all the other rabbis of Jesus's day, he has he's asked very uh, specific questions about his interpretation of the law that was commonly known as the rabbi's yoke. And there were two other rabbis already on the scene in the first century. One was named Hillel and the other was named Shammai. Hillel and Shammai. And, and, and Hillel's interpretation of this passage, his, his interpretation of divorce was that a wife could be divorced for any reason she disappoints you. The rabbi said that if she messed up the dinner meal, if she yelled too loudly and the neighbors heard, And you can tell Hillel's interpretation was the popular interpretation of the day. You can see this in Matthew 19. It says this. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? This was known as any cause divorce. Shammai was different. He he was conservative. He, He said that the only grounds for divorce were marital unfaithfulness. Jesus here in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 affirms what many were expecting, which is known as the more conservative view, that he didn't believe in any cause divorce. Jesus' Jesus' position has commonly been known as the exception clause, that he said whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. Now, the reason this is interesting is that Mark and Luke also talk about the the idea of divorce, but they don't include the exception clause. So is there a discrepancy? I don't think there is. Uh, First of all, I would say what's connected to this is the idea that all the rabbis in the first century were all trying to make sense of a particular passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24.1. You can look it up later. And, and, And behind that, everyone is trying to give a reason for why divorce was allowed. So the, the idea of some sort of exception was believed. There, this verse is what he is referencing in Matthew 19. So liberals like Kalel to conservatives like Shammai, every rabbi had an exception because of Deuteronomy 24.1. So the exception clause is about marital unfaithfulness. It is not about, did Rachel burn my toast? Did Rachel overcook my eggs? I don't like that, but those aren't grounds for divorce. The actual grounds for divorce, Jesus says, were marital unfaithfulness. Now, also in the Bible, Jesus doesn't get into this, but Paul does. The rabbis also believe that the grounds for divorce were connected to abandonment and abuse. And we see Paul referencing this in 1 Corinthians 7. So what is the exception clause? Unfaithfulness, marital unfaithfulness, abandonment, and abuse. This has been the historical position of the exceptions when God's design is destroyed. And Jesus sees these as a concession to the hardness of heart of living in a broken world. So how can we cope 
with the pain in marriage? How do we cope with the pain in marriage? First, learn to love the stranger before you. Learn to love the stranger before you. The reality is pain can come into a marriage because the person you are married to is not the same person that you are married to now. Rachel, my wife, knows this. Uh, early on in our marriage, um, we, 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 we took some photos. We we're actually living in Orlando with them. We took some photos at a garden uh, here in town. And, and one of the problems we had with the photos that day was my hair just kept getting in my eyes. She had to keep moving it. The wind just kept blowing it. I'm also two sizes bigger now than I was in that picture. I'm more introverted now than I was early in our marriage. I have more anxiety now that I'm working through than at the beginning of our marriage. I have more pressures and demands on my life than, than those first days of marriage. Things, things change. Learning to love the stranger who stands before you. Uh, theologian Stanley Hauerwas talks about this. Uh, he, he, he chronicles uh, in, in a book the, the life that he had with his spouse and her severe mental illness and how to walk with somebody through that. And he writes this. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. That line had a profound impact on me. The marriage is every day. I'm marrying somebody who's just different than me. And they're, they may be different than the person that I originally married. Learning to love the stranger that stands before you. That's what marriage is. How to do that well. Second, learn that this season can pass. This season can pass. Um, when we enter into really hard, painful seasons of marriage, because marriage is hard and there will be painful seasons, we can kind of begin to believe it will never get better than this. It, it, it's never going to get better. This season can pass. There was a study done that showed uh, when they polled marriages that were in an unhappy place and they were going through a very difficult season in their marriage, 66% of them were polled again five years later and they were, said that they were in a happy place in their marriage. 66%. The people who, who were in a place that said, it's going to end, it's going to fall apart, it polled if they stayed together in the marriage five years later, 66% of them said, we're doing great. This season can pass. Will you fight or will you forfeit? Will you fight or will you forfeit? Here's what I know. We fight for what has our focus. I don't know if you've encountered someone like this. You know, they just lost a ton of weight. Uh, they, 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 you know, 50, 100 pounds. They, they don't even look like the same person, you know, and you find out later they did keto. 
Um, you know, they're always doing keto. Uh, but, but what happens when you're trying to lose that weight? It, you fight for what has your focus. Th- that person is knowing every single carb that hits their lips. Every single carb right there, they know. You think about students and if they want to get into a good college, we fight for what has our focus. I've talked, to, I've talked to people who, who um, have gone through seasons of being in enormous debt and they were able to pull out. How, how was it? We, we set a budget. We, we set how much we were going to spend. We said, we will not stay here. We will not stay here. And as great as losing weight or your job or, or the right school or, or, or getting out of debt, how much more your marriage how much more your marriage that God has joined you to someone else? What will you fight for? So two next steps and questions. First, just want to extend the invitation of Orangewood's counseling ministry. Uh, we have people confidential, supportive, want to help you with the resources and the relationships you need for your marriage or maybe just counseling in general. So you can go to orangewood.org slash counseling. And the second thing I want to invite you to is our on series on March 5th, where we're going to have Michael and Rachel Blackston here to talk what is healthy sexuality. It's going to be really good. So March 5th. So those are the two steps. Here's some questions for you. If you are here today, you are married. Here's your question for today. With your spouse. How are we doing really? How are we doing really? Uh, No lying, no defensiveness, just to engage with that question. And if you're married, here is your invitation this week. How can I cheer on rather than cut down my spouse? How can I cheer on rather than cut down my spouse? What would it mean for you, for your marriage, If it had your focus, because if it had your focus, I know you'll fight for it. Here's the good news. I've already done this poll. You didn't realize I was doing it here and online. I did a poll. How many perfect marriages are there in this room or online? I did the poll already. And guess what I found out? There's none. There's none. I don't know if you knew that. But maybe I needed to remind you of that this morning. There is no one around you who has a perfect marriage. And it's so easy to see the flaws in the other that we find ourselves married to. Trust me, if you pulled Rachel aside and and you asked her, uh, just give us the list. How hard is it to be married to him? And I'm just praying the list is just not that long. There's going to be a list, but I just hope it's not that long. What do we need for God to change us from the inside? That's the question for everyone here. That's his third invitation, the hope for marriage. The hope for marriage. Here's a question. You may never have thought about this before. Do you know who the most famous person in the Bible was to go through divorce? Think about it. Who's the most famous person in all the Bible to go through divorce? The answer? It was God. Jeremiah 3, verse 8 says this 
God speaking. Judah saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. If you're here and you have been through a divorce, God has too. He knows the pain. He knows the heartbreak. Almost a sense of just fail. Like what happened? God, God knows that pain. But here is the hope for the divorced, the student, the single, the married, and everyone in between. That God loved you so much that he didn't want to live his life apart from you. Yes, we walked out on him. Yes, as we sang in the song, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. We left him. Uh, We've chosen other lovers to fill our lives with, but God would not stop until you knew his declaration of unending love for you. Uh, We see this most appropriately in the story of the woman at the well in John 4. I don't have uh, enough time to highlight everything in here. Um, But we know this woman has bounced around several lovers, broken marriages. She she bears the scar of shame in her community. Um, But we see here, and we've missed this actually in our modern world, but every ancient person would have known this when they read this story. Do you know the place you go in the ancient world to find? a wife. You went to the well. You went to the well. Uh, Isaiah, Isaac, and Rebecca, where did they meet? At a well. Jacob and Rachel, where did they meet? They met at a well. The, the, the story here, the Bible, the well was the meeting place for a marriage. It was match.com for the ancient world. It was the bar for the first century. You went to the well. And Jesus is here looking for this woman. Scarred, divorced, ridiculed, shamed, running after anything and everything she could get in life. She'd given herself to so many others. And Jesus tells her, listen, I will, only, I will be the only spouse that can satisfy you. I'll, I'll be the only spouse that truly fills, fills you up and gives you everything you need. Jesus, he says, if you come to me, you will never thirst again. Her shame would be removed. Her guilt would be taken away. And the story of this woman is the story of us all. Divorced, single, widowed, student, married. It does not matter. Jesus is the only spouse who not only pursues you, but he would die to make you his. He would would give up his own life for the good of the other so you would know no matter what, no matter where you've run, no matter where you're hiding, no matter the shame you're carrying, I'm the only one who will satisfy you. I'm the only one who will set you free. He'll wash you in the waters of regeneration, Paul tells us, so that you could be part of the ultimate marriage of Christ and his church. 
This is what uh, Tim Keller says. This is the grand story of the Bible from beginning to end. The, the grand story of the Bible is a marriage. The Bible begins with a wedding of Adam and Eve and ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding of Christ and the church. Marriage is God's idea. It's God's idea. Friends, no matter where you are today, please see God's everlasting, unending, relentless love of you and for you today. No matter the divorce you went through or the pain that you're currently carrying in your marriage, no matter the longing that you may have to spend your life with someone or the spouse that you lost, Jesus wants you and has done everything possible to make you his. We see this actually in John 4. Jesus offers this uh, woman at the well, he offers her living water. And within the context of seeing this as a proposal at the well, this is Jesus's bridal gift he's giving her. He's saying, "I, I, I will give you living water. So that you will never be thirsty again. This was his bridal gift. But in the context of this, what we see is this gift is available to all who want it. But but where did Jesus give this bridal gift? Where, where, Where did he actually say, this is where you can receive it? He says, on the cross. We're told on the cross that Jesus' final words, some of his final words were, I thirst. Now, now, how is Jesus able to say to you, I will give you living water so that you are never thirsty again, but he on the cross is thirsty? Well, it's because he is the spouse who will do whatever it takes to make you his, to bring you home. He is there to give you everything you need. And, and this is how John ends his account of Jesus on the cross. It says this, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. Friends, there is no question in my mind that John is bringing all of these themes together about the ultimate marriage, that marriage, the bridal gift and the living water are found at the cross. Change can happen inside us when we see the bridal gift from the ultimate spouse that is given to you today. Take and receive the living water that I died to give you because I'm the ultimate spouse. I'm the one who's redeemed you. I'm I'm the one who's delivered you. I'm the one who loved you so much that I give my very life for you. And in seeing what Jesus has done, will enable us to live for the others in our lives and to love them as he has loved us. Would you stand as we close? For the divorced, the single, the young adult, the student, the married, 
My final question is, have you received Jesus' bridal gift for you? The, the living water that is the only thing that can truly satisfy you. Have you received the true lover of your soul? The one who would die to make you his. He is our hope. He is the one we need. Go to him. He's made himself available to you for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, may we be caught up in a greater story that no matter who we are here today, may we be caught up into the marriage that you have been writing for all of history. And Lord, whatever place you have us, our singleness, our marriage, the pain of our divorce, the pain of being left behind by a spouse who's gone before us. Lord, wherever we are today, may we come to you as the spouse we truly need and to see your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.